This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com breadbox. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. Beneath the surface, Paul Morano, my guest, Mr. John Tudor is tonight. Very excited. This is um, episode two in our series on the creed, Beneath the Surface. And what we're going to do, as we did last broadcast, is to take every phrase, every, every tidbit of the creed. Sometimes they come in phrases, sometimes they come in sentences, but every little piece of the, of the Nicene Creed, and we are going to explain it beneath the surface. Very often we go into church, we rattle off the creed, we don't really know what we're talking about on any, any level uh, beneath the surface, so that's what we're doing here in this series on the creed beneath the surface. Now, before I get to John, um, just a little uh, review of last show. Last show, uh, my guest, Bob LeBlanc, chose to uh, focus in on only the first two words of the Nicene Creed, which are I believe. Used to be we believe, now it's I believe. Credo, I believe. We talked basically, to just a nut, in a nutshell, we made the distinction between subject and object. In other words, I believe versus you know, what I believe in, or my faith versus the faith. We made a distinction between those things. And of course, my faith and your faith may be on different levels with regard to the faith, which is immutable. It is divine revelation, which is unchangeable. Then we talked about three ways to certitude, faith being the basic one, actually, one of the three, but the very foundation. Because, you know, we have faith, reason, and our senses. All three of these avenues we have to understanding the world around us. But uh, in one sense, you know, you, when you think of faith, you think of religious faith because it goes beyond the senses. But in one sense, as we talked about last uh, show, you really have to have faith in the senses as well as in human reason in order to even believe what you see uh, and what you experience and, and, and your own thinking. So, you know, not to get into what Descartes went through in his, uh, in his radical uh, radicalization of uh, doubt, but, you know, th there has to be some level of faith in he who created us that we believe in our senses and that we believe in our reasoning power to attain truth. And of course, over and above that is what we usually consider religious faith, which of course goes beyond what is uh, possibly seen with our uh, finite senses. And then the third uh, basic uh, thing that we talked about last show with regard to I believe is the difference between 
simple belief and faith. And we sort of boiled it down to, we believe in things, ideas, concepts, doctrines. We have faith in persons. And you really can't believe what is being told to you if you have no faith in the person telling it. So, uh, you know, we are, I think every human heart seeks, longs for, and, uh, you know, seeks to, to, to be in union with God, which is what religion, the word religion comes from in the Latin religiare, to be in union with. And um, so, so that, that initial faith in God enables us to believe what he tells us and to believe in the doctrines. And of course, this doesn't exclude our reasoning power because as we know through, through study, every teaching of the church, whether it be faith or morals, is extremely reasonable. There's nothing that violates human reason or, sci or science in, um, in the faith. And basically, um, the last thing I think we mentioned is that faith is an assertion, I believe. The first two words of the creed is an assertion of something that is accepted, not as an opinion or I kind of like it or I like most of it or no, it's an assertion that I hold this to be objectively true. Basically, that's what I believe means. So now let us go on to our second show of this series on the Nicene Creed. And we will cover today in one God, which are the next three words after I believe. I believe in one God. And to help us with that journey, John Tudor is. John, thanks for sitting there through that introduction. Welcome. Hey, good to be here. Ready to delve? I am, I am a, so delving ready. Uh, <laughs> you're so delving ready, huh? I, I right. am. I don't know uh, if delving is normally used in that context, but we have no, today. Ne never is, but you just, you just did it for the first time. That's right. All right. So let's delve beneath the surface on this notion of one God. I believe in one God. And we already went through belief, but, you know, we need to go through this notion of one and the notion of God. Um, and what, uh, what God means as singular and as trinity and all of this, all of this wonderful theology that has been, you know, uh, battered about and studied and, and, and fought over and prayed over and the Holy Spirit enlightens the church for hundreds of years to come up with all, what all this means. We'll do it in about 20 minutes. But uh, John, where would you like to start first with I believe in one God? Sure. So with the one God, really, what's what's the main difference as far as belief? I think that's we'll start there because most people, I think, are at least vaguely uh, familiar. Uh, so there, of course, there is monotheism, uh, which is belief in a one God. Mono means one. Theism means God. OK. Right. And then there's polytheism. So belief in many gods. Yeah. And so that's that's probably a good starting point. I think most people are familiar with that basic distinction. Yeah, what's interesting about I believe in one God is this is almost, this is, I think, the entire foundation of the Nicene Creed because this is what the Creed is going to talk about. Right after this line, I believe in one God, it's going to go into the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit, and then what the Spirit created in the church and what the church does with baptism and forgiveness of sins and then the end of time resurrection. So 
it's all based on this notion of we believe in one God. And as you say, the Judeo-Christian experience in, in world history um, introduced this notion of not believing in many gods like the pagans did, but one God. That was radical, wasn't it, at the time? Pretty radical. The only exception that I can think of is uh, one in the line of the pharaohs, and I forget which one, but he basically elevated one of the gods in their pantheon of gods to the one supreme god, uh, but yeah. he was the anomaly, and it wasn't in the same sense exactly as your, your well, uh, ancient Israel god, I would, which I would, the I am who am. I would argue that that though, when you when you raise one god to the supreme god, it's kind of henotheism rather than monotheism. Well, and, it's 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 the it's the greatest among. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. That's a virus and threat protection. <laughs> we um, don't want any of those right now. Not at all. Yeah, so, in, our, in our bodies or our computers. That is so true. But henotheism means um, that. It's not that you don't believe that there are many gods, but you do believe that there is one big head honcho god, if you will. And, and a, lot of, a, a lot of the pagans kind of had that henotheistic understanding. Our god is the best, right? Pretty Well, even in even the ancient uh, Greeks, most people are at least vaguely familiar with your, uh, your Greek and your Norse mythology. We get it in high school yeah. and, and middle school. Uh, Zeus was the chief among the... Uh, the the Greek pantheon right. slash Roman pantheon. Odin was the chief of the Norse gods, uh, but at some but, point there was a chief before them, and at some point, presumably, want someone else yeah. to be the chief. And you could even say, looking at the Old Testament, that uh, in ancient Israel, before their walk with God enabled them to have a more mature spirituality and relationship with Him, that even they were henotheistic. I mean, you can see it in some of the Psalms that our God is the best of all the gods kind of thing. Uh, there, there certainly may be elements of that. I know with, uh, for example, uh, Abraham, uh, yep. he was kind of called out of that, that um, mm. polytheistic type of atmosphere. And, yeah. and, and yeah, it, it's, I suppose it's also who uh, those Psalms were addressed to. Uh, so there is a certain anthropomorphizing of God there in so right. much as it, they're giving a God human like qualities. Of course, uh, when you get to Moses, uh, which is a little different, this idea of the God who, who just is, who are you? I am simply, I am. Yeah. But if you, if you listen to Moses, th that was an interesting, uh, there's an incredible conversation between Moses and God in the burning bush. Moses asks him, you know, who do I say sent me? In other words, what is your name? Presumably because Moses and the people of Israel think that there are many gods still. They, they're not solidified in their notion yet that God is one. There, there certainly can be that speculation. I mean, uh, Moses himself was raised in, in Egypt, and that was definitely a mono, uh, polytheistic type of culture for sure. Right. So one God, that was radical. Uh, monotheism, uh, Judaism, and then Christianity, of course, spread monotheism to the world. How is how important is that, and why is that important? Uh, well, I mean that 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 could probably show itself mm. as far as how important that is. But for one, is it, it's taking uh, I would say it's taking in an idea that we are not the end all be all of existence. And in fact, our existence is contingent 
explicitly no bones about it upon the existence of another not just like we are begotten by our parents but that the entire all of creation hinges upon the free will goodness of one being who is being itself that's all phenomenal right. Well, now, of course, we have to dig a little deeper into the last couple of three words that you just said, is being itself. So you're saying that, you know, turning from one to God, you're saying that the word God has a radically, infinitely radically different meaning for Jews and Christians. It does. Uh, than it does for the pagans who believed in many gods. Explain the difference between a God with a small g as believed in the pagans and God with a capital G as be, as believed with in the, with the Christians. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the God, as far as the pantheon gods, for example, the Greek gods, uh, you know, you had Diana, Artemis, Zeus, um, Heracles was a demigod, uh, but, but all of them, they were not the singular Supreme God. They're one amongst many in some way, they're almost like an advanced race. And because, that, that was kind of like of, a, a superhuman kind of like right? a superhuman race and and you actually see that reflected believe it or not in and today's american comic books not uncommon yes yes yes, uh, yes i mean most people are familiar to one degree or another with the marvel movies and thor is basically like a a superior being from another race yeah uh and and, and that's yeah pretty largely true i would say so these gods with a small g that pagans believed in it seems to me like what they all have in common is that they're immortal would, would you say that that's uh, true kind of immortal but not yeah. not entirely uh, certainly okay. not the norse gods the norse gods were uh uh the norse gods definitely had an end ragnarok which is uh, mm -hmm. uh sort of the end of the whole norse uh, mythology where pretty much they all kill each other to death <laughs> one degree or another. But, you know, this but one could, kills this one, this one kills that one. But even in Norse mythology, could non-gods kill gods? Like, well, that's, that's, just, that's just it, too. You, would, you wouldn't hear of a human hmm. killing a god. Yeah. Now, still, though, with these, the notion of many gods, you have to, at least in your mind and in reality, uh, well, not reality because they're not real, but in your mind, understand them as finite beings, because there are many of them. There are. Want to unpack that a little bit? Well, in that sense, they are finite, because, for example, Zeus was begotten by his father, Kronos, and so, and Kronos, at some point, was created, too. So they're not... They all have a beginning. Yeah, they're not eternal. They have a beginning. They're not infinite, because they're finite beings. You can actually see them. They have a form. Um, they're not, you know, eternal being or eternal spirit and infinite spirit like we understand God to be in the Christian sense. So they, in a sense, they are like, um, like we said earlier, powerful, uh, finite beings, many of, the, many of whom are at least um, potentially immortal, that can do superhuman things. And the creation of the, or at least the formation of the world uh, was relied upon them. And this is another, I think, uh, interesting point that before monotheism, before the Judeo-Christian understanding of God, human beings believed that the universe was only, I mean, the world was only formed. It wasn't created out of nothing because the universe always was. 
There certainly was, in some areas, a prevailing, a prevailing idea that the universe always was. Yeah. And even among some philosophers, uh, when they've discussed that, uh, I think even Aquinas uh, came to the conclusion that uh, through at least reason, or using our own reason, that it's not a contradiction to say that the universe always was. Or could have been always or, been or could have but uh, but, 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 but of but course more, he go ahead oh yeah that that there was actually a beginning because one, he because he believed in divine movement. yeah he believed in divine revelation so right. i think i think what he was saying is uh through human reason we we it's, it doesn't seem to be a contradiction to believe either way that the universe was created out of nothing or that it always existed but aquinas of course bowed to divine revelation that told him that informed him that God created the universe out of nothing, which, by the way, was itself a radical introduction to the world and to the world of philosophy and theology, that not only is there one God, but this one God created everything out of nothing. Barach is the Hebrew word for that, to create something out of nothing. The gods of the pagans used to just reform things all the time. That's right. That's right. The, or the, the Latin term, which some people may be familiar with, is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Yeah. So not, not that it didn't already exist in the mind of the eternal God who's outside of time, but in so much as that the matter itself, the material prior did not exist and then came into existence. Right. And that's Genesis chapter one right. basically and, begins to tell us that. And as an aside, the, the idea of the Big Bang Theory itself comes from that notion. Uh, Father George Lamatre, a Belgian priest, was the uh, one who came up with that idea. And some of that influence on that actually came from Thomas Aquinas. The idea, there's, uh, I forget which number it was in the Summa Theologiae, but he talks about that all of creation uh, came into existence all at once in one movement. Yeah, uh, not in those exact words, uh, but it was pretty fascinating. I remember when I read it, yeah. I was thinking, "Gads, this must have been uh, something that uh, George Lamache probably had on his mind." Yeah, and it's 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 interesting how the Big Bang theory and creation out of nothing that Genesis chapter one tells us go hand in hand. They don't contradict whatsoever. It's you know, science, yes. it's another instance of science and the Christian faith. Uh, being in union. So this one God who created everything out of nothing um, is Trinitarian. Now what's that all about? Tell me the difference that a Christians understand this one God, the difference between being or nature or essence, and don't get too scholarly for our audience, versus personhood. Right. So the, the quick formula is uh, God is, in the Christian view, is that God is three persons but one essence. So think if you want to substitute the word being for essence, you certainly can, okay. uh, because those would be convertible terms with God, being and essence. Um, it's one so he's one thing. being, okay. Yeah, his, his being is his essence. His existence is his essence. Yeah, just just to uh, just to unpack that for a few seconds, that's not the case with any any created thing, um, because you know we all share being, we all exist, right. but all of our essence is different, and the essence is basic basically the fence around our being. It defines what we are. 
Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. God has no definition. He is literally infinite and eternal. Right. And in our, in us, we would say that we have a common nature. So we could, uh, uh, Oftentimes you can use the words nature and essence interchangeably. So you and I would have a common human nature, but our individual beings are different. You're Paul Marano, I'm John Tudoris. Yeah. Uh, and so, but with God, that's all one. There is no division in God. There's no complexity. We'd say of God uh, that he's pure simplicity, uh, the, meaning there's no moving parts. He just is. No moving parts. Nothing changes. Nothing changes, God but, is, but at the same time, there's this newness about God, and that's coming from the, the idea of the Trinity is prob- mm. perhaps the best way that we can have some degree of understanding about that. seems to me that new and old are, don't have any application to God since God simply is. Well, that's right, and that brings up another point, and this is what Thomas Coinus was very keen to point out, is that anything that we can know about God um, using our human language in our yeah. finiteness is only analogous to the real truth about God. So it does certainly help us come to a better understanding than where we would be if we didn't have that language. But at the same time, it falls incredibly short uh, so, when describing the true nature of God. So in other words, we can't describe God in positive terms because God is beyond our understanding and our language but we can understand things about god via analogous terms as to what god is not is that right well there's that so, and, and i would say so. the terms that we could use to describe god uh in the positive such as the persons of the trinity those yeah. are actually revealed to us so that's not something that right. we come to through reason for example that god is father son right and, spirit or holy ghost those are things that are revealed to us but we can through reason come to the understanding that there is a one god and that's it was a rare it was a rare occurrence for sure but we have a very explicit example in person of for example aristotle who is very keen to come to the understanding Mm. that, that god is the first principle of everything so he's the cause of everything that exists yeah, one of the greatest minds of the world, of the history of the world, of course, um, he did not have divine revelation. It was before Christ and uh, no access to the Jews. So Aristotle, through, through human reason alone, came to, step by step, came to realize the, the reality that there has to be one God, and this one God is the source of all things. Now, of course, he believed in a deist God, but that's, you need divine revelation to understand the personal characteristics of right. this one God. Good point. So through human reason, by deduction, we can understand that God is and that he exists uh, and that he is one. But we need, we need divine revelation to understand who God is, what his character is, that he is love, that he created everything out of nothing, and what is, of course, expected of us by this God. Divine revelation is, which is, which really is what religion is centered around, uh, enables us to know this one true God and what He expects of us. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating stuff. And just one little point that I would like to throw in there too is that uh, Thomas Aquinas was very uh, keenly, uh, and I think in a very important point, uh, confirmed that the data that we get through revelation is something that we can rely on 
more than and more assuredly than what we can through human reason alone. And the reason why is because the source of the data of revelation is not the faulty reasoning of man and our limitations, but the perfection of God mm. himself. So if God yeah. comes, who, and of course we can come again through reason to the idea that God is one, that he's all powerful and all knowing, so that one perfect all-knowing God, if he comes and he gives us information, I can more assuredly rely on that than I can on even the most intelligent human being. For example, Albert Einstein comes up with the theory of relativity. Fantastic, great, opens all sorts of windows and doorways into how we can understand the nature of space and time, yeah. but that still has limits. And, and you talk to the right people who are involved in astrophysics and they'll say, yeah, but you know, there might be some things we can tweak about it. Not everything is uncovered, right. meaning that there's still more to, to build on and he may not be entirely accurate. But what we get from God, even if it's very simple, that we can rely on implicitly. The authority of that is far greater than anything you would get from a human. Yeah, this reminds me of our last show, because basically it seems like what you're saying is that if, if we begin with faith in this infinite and eternal being who is all-knowing and all-good, then of course, then whatever he says, we're going to trust it 100%, much more than we trust our own intellect. In right, what it, yeah, what substitute the, the yeah. word trust for faith. I trust in that one yeah. God says more exactly. than I myself. Um, the, the term... One God. I just want to just, just clarify this a little bit. One God doesn't mean a God. And I think that's an important distinction to make here in understanding the Christian understanding of God. Because when you say a God like the Christians, that at least opens up the possibility that a God means that he's finite and there's more gods. When you say one God, you're simply meaning eternal, infinite being. God Correct. is not a being, God is being. You want to just say a sentence on, on what that means, and then we'll go on to one more thing? Well, I think you said it pretty succinctly. God is uh, not a being amongst beings. God is being itself. itself. All, that, all that exists is is within and through God. Participates. But, in but not like someone saying, well, it's all part of the universe. Mm -hmm. Well, the universe right. itself is a creation of the one God. Right. And so it then, within that one God. <clears throat> so then in uh, that all-important um, uh, meeting between Moses and the burning bush in, in Exodus chapter 3, in verse 14, when, when God says, you know, reveals his divine name, which in English we understand to be I am, um, basically God is is he is he god is isness he is he is being itself and everything else that exists comes forth from his divine will which is love which by the way brings me to my next and final point here with you and that is tell me um tell me a little bit about why love itself has to be trinitarian excellent excellent point and that's Thank a you. good lead into the trinity too yeah. on the christian idea that God is three persons, but one essence. So God, the father, we would, uh, one way Thomas Aquinas described him is uh, the, uh, I believe a principle without a principle, uh, basically meaning that um, although all is one from all eternity, there is no division in the three persons of God. In principle, at least, the father is first. So father, not in, think not, of the father. Not right, in time. 
not, not in, in time, time but, but from all eternity but from all eternity god uh, the father is source of god with a capital s that's correct and in that principle you could say the oneness of god would not exist without the father so to speak right. as a hinge and again we're using limited human language but we'd say the father mm. the father is the first principle the okay. son is the perfect image the perfect active mind of the intellect of god the father but because god is all everything all being and he's pure spirit he doesn't have matter per se his god's intellect is one with his essence that that perfect thought is a perfect reflection of his essence That's so the sun. let me let me just stop right there this is good stuff so when when the creed says and we're going to get to this later of course maybe with somebody else god from god light from light true god from true god <clears throat> basically we're talking about that the second person of god is it comes forth from as the perfect image of the first person of god he is god from god and this is what you would say uh something to do with mind or uh, wisdom or word, and this is why tradition has all of these terms for the second person of God, the eternal word, eternal wisdom, um, the, the, logos. the logos, which of course is scriptural, the chapter John has logos throughout it, logos in Greek means word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, capital W, this means reason, truth, uh, knowledge, that's what God is, God from God, light from light. Yes? Yes, and begotten, not made. And we'll get to but, that too later in the right, creed with right. someone else. But I think at least yeah. it's, it's important to mention that yeah. in a, uh, briefly here. And so you have this perfect uh, gift, if you will, this perfect image of God. And then what does a son do but in, does like in return? Because he is the same. Yeah. So there's what you end up having is this perfect gift of self from yeah. father to son, son to father, the lover and the beloved. In But yeah. because God is so perfectly one, this love is so perfect, uh, but he's all God himself. So there is this uh, perfect, well, what Cornish would say, spiration of love. In fact, Between Catholic them. catechism, yeah. yes, I believe uses that term too, the spiration yeah. So this, uh, this perfect bond, this gift between them. Yes. Um, but because God is so, I suppose, magnanimous in his, this perfection of eternal, uh, all-powerful magnanimity, that um, sameness, that all-eternalness doesn't just stay contained, but also proceeds forth. And where we see that imaged in humanity is actually the human family. Yeah. So we have uh, the, the, and here we're again only speaking analogy, but the, right. the father and the family is like God the father. The mother is like the son in so much as that she comes from his side, yeah. as we see in the creation narrative in Genesis. Right. And then the love, this unitive between love them. between them, um, God willing, also begets new life. Yeah. So there's this, there's this sameness, this unity, this bond but this also pouring forth this newness that comes from them. Yeah. There are, there are two really big points I think that need to be summarized with regard to this. Um, number one, <clears throat> love needs another. 
Yes. Um, you know, this is the problem with mono monotheism that is um, not Trinitarian. Monotheism that believes that there's only, that God is only one person. From all eternity, God, you know, God needs to love. Uh, if he is love, you know, St. John says God is love. What does that mean? It means in a Trinitarian sense that God can love the father, the father can love the son, the son loves the father back, and the love between them that they experience in their relation is the Holy Spirit. And we, like you're saying, we see this reflected in all of creation in an impersonal way, but particularly in human beings in a personal way, that's Love is by its by its definition trinitarian. It's triadic. There has to be lover beloved and the love between them. Lover beloved and love. This trinitarian understanding uh, comes right from God Himself because God is love. God is a communion of persons, just like the family is, like you were saying. Um, that is a communion, <clears throat> a co-union. They are one in 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 their relation. Um, as family, but they are they are different or distinct in their personhood as having that love between them. Yeah, it is really really fascinating that that you could actually do a whole show on if you no want. Question. Uh, just no question. Just how how the Trinity is reflected in nature and particularly in the human family. Uh, yeah. it, it really is fascinating. And just as an aside on that, Aristotle is very. Uh, Keen and I think importantly noted that the human family is actually the uh, individual building block of society. It's prior to the political social structure yes. that man creates mm. is the structure of the human family itself yeah. as a single unit, as a oneness. Yes. Um, so God, if God is love, which scripture says he is, then God is Trinity. It makes sense. God is Trinity, God is love, right. and love itself is triadic or Trinitarian, even down here in the created order. All right, so we've, we've covered that that's the radical notion that God is one, uh, and now, of course, most of the world, or much of the world is monotheistic ever since, you know, the Christian missionaries. Uh, God is one, that God is three, in as much as he's one being, but three persons or three relations, he's distinct in his relations, because God is love. And um, what else can we add to this? Uh, just one, one important point that I think is, uh, needs to be made regarding the oneness of God. So uh, we mentioned, of course, Ju Judaism. We have Christianity. And the other one is Islam, too. And yes. there, is, there is a sort of a perennial question that goes about if all three believe that there is a one supreme the one God, yeah. do they all believe in the same God? And here, and well, here, just real briefly, and I know it's a question that we won't actually answer here, but I think it's important to add a little uh, point on that in that Thomas Aquinas was very good about making distinctions to help get to a further understanding. Even if you can't get to the fullest understanding, those distinctions can help. So well, one be, is- be, Before you get to one is, I, I yes. just want to challenge the question. Yeah. Is it is it a nonsensical question? Because if you say the same God, you're you're presuming that there can be that that it's a, it's a God like we were talking about earlier, and there can be other gods. Aren't you presuming that with that question? 
Well, knowing how Aquinas was the master at observing something from all different angles, mm. I have no doubt he would probably, if he was alive today, he would probably ask that very same question uh, that mm. you asked. Because he, objectively, there is only one God. Subjectively, everybody, at least, at least the monotheistic religions, understand him differently. So is the question subjective? The question is subjective, I would imagine, because there is only one God. So, Correct. All right. So continue with what you were going to say. Well, and that, that, right. So, well, that actually brings to uh, a good point as far as the, the first part where you could say that, yes, all believe in the same God in that God is one. Right. So if yeah. one stays on that conceptual level, yeah. and here and, we're talking, right. And, and they just believe differently about this one God. Okay. Right. But okay. they'll say it's still one God. Now, okay. There are key characteristics, though. So, for example, in Islam, if one says, well, in Islam, God can actually change his mind, okay, which is, which is an important distinction. So a God who can change his mind is finite and changeable. Exactly. Yeah. And so so in that looking at just that distinction with, for example, the Christian God, uh, where God does not change his mind, yeah. he just is one can actually say at that level that no, they are not the same. They, they understand God so differently from each other that you cannot use the language, it's the same God. That's what you're saying? That's correct. Okay. And that's one of the, yeah. the, the big questions and we're not gonna resolve that yeah. here. And, and Islam believes that God is a, a voluntaristic God rather, right. than, rather than the logos or reason. You know, Christians believe that God is reason as well as love. Right. Well, he's both. All right. But, and, and again, that's another whole show. <laughs> it is. It is. Anything else that you want to add before we call it a day on the notion of believing in one God? I think we pretty much covered all the main things, the distinctions between one God and many gods. Uh, we hit it from a theological, a philosophical level. Yeah. Um, and those are really and the that, main, the main points. And of course the idea of God being, uh, multiple persons, but at the same time, one in essence. Right. God is love, and he's hence Trinitarian. One being, eternal, infinite, all-knowing, all all-loving, all-powerful, uh, and uh, three persons in relationship for all eternity. And hence, we're his image as persons. But again, another show. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Mr. John Tudoris. Very heavy, important stuff. <laughs> Very good, uh, good theological pondering here. And that's what we do here beneath the surface. We delve beneath the surface. Our second show, we believe in one God delving beneath the surface on this notion of monotheism and Trinitarianism. Thanks, John. It was, it was, uh, if the time flew by. Oh, well, that's what happens when you're having fun. All right. Next show, ladies and gentlemen, we believe in one God. We will delve in the into the first person of this one God that we believe, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Until then, for Mr. John Tudoris, I'm Paul Morano. You've been beneath the surface with us. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>